The views expressed on Science for the People are not necessarily the views of this station, its affiliates, sponsors, or advertisers. This week on Science for the People, we're helping you take care of your Christmas shopping. Well, at least for anyone on your list that's as nerdy as we are. Welcome to Science for the People. I'm Rochelle Saunders. Dear listeners, it's that time of year again when we sit down with a couple of science book nerds and talk about the best of our 2016 reading lists. Joining me is Mary Brock, a scientist who works in immunology. She's a nonfiction book lover and a contributor at Skeptic, and is the co-founder of Grounded Parents, a sister site that focuses on the intersection of science, skepticism, feminism, and parenting. Mary, good to have you back again. Hi, nice to be back. Also with me is John Dupuis, a science and engineering librarian at the Stacey Science and Engineering Library at York University in Toronto. He can be found online at his blog, Confessions of a Science Librarian. John, great to have you back too. Great to be back. So before we get going, just to let everyone know, if you hear something you think sounds great, you don't have to rush around looking for a pen and paper if one isn't handy. As you listen to this, we'll have a blog post up on our website with titles, authors, and links where you can learn more about the books. We'll link to that blog post from the show notes, and those will be up on our website, scienceforthepeople.ca. Okay, so just to sort of get us started, uh, approximately how many science books have you read in the past year? I've done about 10 or 15 if you include sci-fi, which I do include. <laughs> <laughs> I love sci-fi. John, what about you? I, I'm, a, I'm about 20 or 25. And that, and that includes, you know, kids' books as well. I'm about the same. I think I've read, it was like 23 when I counted them. I'm a little bit behind last year, but I think only by a couple of books. So I'm not doing too bad. Oh, yeah. I didn't include kids' books, so probably like 100, you know, because <laughs> that's most of my reading. Oh, that's awesome. I always feel like I don't read enough science kid books because I'm I'm really focused on uh, books that I can read to talk about on the show. I should really talk about more science kid kids' books because they're really awesome. I kind of focus on, you know, the kind of the graphic novel-y kind of stuff. And there's not that many of them in a, in the typical year, but... Uh... But I, you know, I did, I did read a few and enjoy and enjoy them this year for sure. So as I did last year, I want to talk a little bit about how 2016 was overall for science books. Do we feel it was fairly average? Was it better? Was it worse than the average showing? How are we feeling overall about our 2016 science book haul? I think it was about average. It, nothing really stuck out to me as being like the best of the year, but I thought this year seemed just about as good as the last one. Yeah, I would I would agree. There wasn't, you know, it seemed it seemed average, maybe even a little in terms of kind of what you would see in the mainstream media, maybe even a little uh, below average. There weren't that many books, science books that the New York Times called out this year in their 100 notable books. So that's kind of that's one of the that's one of the barometers that I use. So for me, if there was if there was one kind of standout hot book the only one that I could even think of would be maybe Lab Girl by Hope Jaren, which was a real standout book for me. But that seemed to be the one, you know, if there was one that got a kind of a lot of media attention, that that might be it. I have not read Lab Girl, but it is on my list of books to read, definitely. Can you give us a, a little, what what is Lab Girl about? So it's, it's basically the story of... Um, Hope Jarin becoming a scientist and kind of through the first stage of her scientific career. And, you know, the trials and tribulations uh, of, you know, of a woman in science kind of starting up her career and, and the, the, the challenges of 
uh, finding funding, you know, finding good people to work with. It, it's kind of a weird book in the sense that a, an, a lot of it concentrates on a more than slightly bizarre relationship she has with her kind of main lab tech sidekick, this guy, Bill, and which was like weird, you know, in some ways kind of weirdly symbiotic. And so that added kind of an interesting uh, human depth to the story. It was a very human story. Uh, and I, I just, I just loved it. There was just so many, there was just so many wonderful dimensions to the story. It, you know, it's, it was a book that really, I, I, I had a hard time putting down while I was reading it. So was it one of your favorites that you read this year, John? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mary, what about you? Any standout favorites for this year? If you had to pick one and that was all you're allowed to recommend, what do you think you'd go with? Um, I think I would pick uh, this book called Imbeciles, The Supreme Court, American Eugenics, and the Sterilization of Carrie Buck. So I'm not a history person, so I don't know. Maybe Carrie Buck's case is very well known. But this is all about, in the 1920s, a Supreme Court ruling that led to a woman that they considered to be, you know, quote unquote, an imbecile, uh, who I think... I think her mom had been determined to be, you know, some also an imbecile, again, using the back in the day medical diagnosis term. And then she had a child and they determined that this baby was also going to carry these genetic traits. And so they sterilized this woman and, you know, it goes into the, the court case and the people that fought back and how, you know, having to do with, sterilization law, eugenics. I think it really resonates too. Um, I think eugenics is one of those things that comes back every now and then as like people think it's a good idea, but it has no basis in science. So that that was a very standout book to me. It's really but, interesting. Um, I, yeah, sorry, I was just going to note that <clears throat> eugenics does seem to be one of those those ideas that does come back over and over and over again. It kind of disappears for a little while, then people get interested in it again. Right. And the, and the thing is like, I mean, of course there's no basis for eugenics anyway, but especially when you examine the case of Carrie Buck, she was really just a normal, a neurotypical woman. And, you know, these, these, Doctors and scientists went out of their way to declare her baby, you know, feeble-minded and stuff. And it was really all just lies to promote eugenics. So, very sad, but very important book. And uh, I was going to mention, if you really liked the book Lab Girl, there was another book that came out called Wonder Women. And this is about 25, it's called 25 Innovators, Inventors, and Trailblazers Who Changed History. And the reason that I really liked this book is because a while ago I heard a question of name, name five women in science. And people will usually name the same women, uh, like Marie Curie and, um, you know, a few few other women in the lab that they know of, maybe if they can come up with five women, but they're always the same. And the great thing about this book is that it goes through women that you might not necessarily have heard of. In fact, most of the women in this list I had not heard of. And these are usually women from history, but then the author goes on to interview uh, 
women who are currently in those job roles about what they do and what their jobs have been like, you know, challenges that they've faced. Uh, for example, one of the women profiled is called Bessie Blount Griffin, who is a woman of color who invented an electronic feeding tube so that amputees could feed themselves. They, they would um, bite down on the tube, which would signal sending a little bit of food into their mouth. And this was in the 1950s. And she actually had to fight with uh, the U.S. Patent Office or the, the, the government to patent it. And the the hospital she was working for wasn't interested in it at all. So a lot of her inventions ended up going to Europe. And um, so, yeah, so that's, for example, I'd never heard of her. So that's why I thought, this is a very interesting book. So I, I read a book, uh, a different book, right along that same line uh, this year as well. Uh, it's called Women in Science, 50 Fearless Pioneers Who Changed the World by Rachel mm -hmm. Ignofsky. And that's a, that's a book I liked quite a bit. It's, um, it's aimed at um, young people, I would say maybe 10 to 12 year olds. And I thought it was, I thought it was actually quite well done. Uh, beautifully, beautifully illustrated. Um, I found some of the I found uh, I found some of the descriptions maybe could have been a bit livelier, but but yeah I thought it was, it was right along the same lines right focusing on a lot of a, a lot of um, women scientists and technologists who you who mostly you never would have heard of and in particular it focused a lot on people who are still alive which I also appreciated. I was actually just going to mention that book, John, because uh, I found I like I'm quite a big fan of coffee table books. And I like to swap out my coffee table books every once in a while. And it's such a beautiful, gorgeous book. And while I totally agree that some of the descriptions could be lively, kind of as a function of something you put on your coffee table, and people kind of get pulled into when you come back from making your cup of you know, making the room a cup of tea, and someone's flipping through a book. It's a great one. It pulls people in. It's really interesting. You can kind of dip in and out of it. Um, and the the illustrations are beautiful, for sure. Yeah, I, 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 I really wished that the the text would have matched the beauty of the illustrations. Mm. I felt that she, yeah, I think she felt she needed because that, you know, as you may recall, that <laughs> the print was very small. I, yes, <laughs> I think she felt she needed to get every single detail she could uh, about these women. And I think that ended up kind of detracting a little bit from uh, from what she was actually trying to accomplish. It does read at times a little bit like a Wikipedia page. I will, I will definitely <laughs> note that. <laughs> well, um, if you liked that book, but you're looking for something a little more readable, there was another book that came out this year. I mean, I guess this year is the year of book lists of women, <laughs> but this book was called Rejected Princesses, Tales of History's Boldest Heroines, Hellions, and Heretics. And so it's not necessarily a women in science book, but it does have a lot of great pictures. It's written in a very engaging manner. It's actually based on a, a blog. And um, there's 101 women profiled. And some of these women are real. Some of them are more like um, fairy tales. But, there, you know, there's there's a little bit of both. So that's why... I wouldn't really say it's like a science book, but it's a fun read. It would be the kind of book where I wouldn't necessarily uh, trust it at face value, but I would use it as a jumping point to research someone in history that I thought was really cool. 
All right. We could totally talk about women in science <laughs> books, I think, for the entire episode, but maybe let's shift over. I'm interested to find out if there are any books that kind of pleasantly surprised you that you picked up and went, mm, I don't know about this one. And then you put it down after you were finished thinking, yeah, that was great. Yeah, uh, I read a book called Pitbull, The Battle Over an American Icon. And so, again, I'm not in the Pitbull community. I know there's a huge community of of people who hate pit bulls and people who love pit bulls. And I don't have a, a dog, so I'm not a part of this. I just hear about the arguments sometimes. And this author went and she did a lot of research about pit bulls. You know, you always hear the myths like pit bulls have this like thousand pound bite force and pit bulls are a terrible breed and we should ban them. And I went into the book thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't really care about pit bulls that much. I don't want to put my child around a pit bull. And then you read the book and you find out, well, there's really not one thing, one kind of dog that is a pit bull. There's many kinds of dogs and that pit bulls don't have a stronger bite strength than any other dog. Bite strength is correlated with the size of the dog. And, you know, the the history of pit bulls, like how they, they used to be this beloved dog. Um, I think FDR had a pit bull and there was a pit bull in um, the Little Rascals. And that ever since the 1970s, they had been denigrated. And um, you find out that a lot of it has been associated with race and class. Like poor people were more likely to own these dogs. People of color more likely to own these dogs. And so they were just associated with that fear mongering of race and class. And uh, they were, they became a proxy in the eighties for like racial tensions. And then you find out a little more history about dogs, about how dox hunts used to be, discriminated against i mean little weenie dogs you know like they were discriminated against after world war ii apparently because you know they're german and uh breeders tried to rename rename them as liberty pups (laughs) (laughs) so you know and you you think about all that and it really um it really changed my mind about this issue and and uh yeah, that, that's why I picked it. I thought it was a very good book for somebody like me who's not really got any skin in the game, you know? So a couple books that uh, pleasantly surprised me. Uh, one was The Madhouse Effect, How Climate Denial, How Climate Change Denial is Threatening Our Planet, Destroying Our Politics, and Driving Us Crazy by Michael Mann. I, I have to admit I was, I was expecting it to be a little dry, um, and it was pretty awesome. I think, uh, you know, he... This is this would be the perfect book uh, for everyone to read about uh, climate change and climate change advocacy. He goes through a lot of the, I guess, the facts and figures at a very kind of high level. But he he goes through the different, you know, different political and scientific and social aspects in a in a really systematic and a really entertaining way too. I, I was I was pleasantly surprised by how energized the book is. And the other one that I was super pleasantly surprised was uh, Grunt, The Curious Sci- Science of Humans at War by Mary Roach. 
Um, and I, I actually, I had fairly lofty expectations. I'd never read a Mary Roach book before. And of course, she's one of the all time great science writers. And somehow I had not managed to ever read one of her books. So I finally got around to it this year. And it was awesome. It's hilarious and informative and weird and passionate and and so just fun. And again, right, the topic is not so cheerful. And, uh, and I thought I was really pleasant surprised by just how hilarious and informative it managed to be uh, at the same time on such a on such a sober topic and she would go through things like you know uh, how to keep warm how to survive catastrophic injuries you know all these not so not so cheerful topics yeah I agree you know what I'm actually a huge fan of Mary Roach I have been reading every single book she's had out for years and I was not I knew I was going to read this book because she is so funny. I mean, you could make her footnotes into another book. I, I never read anyone's footnotes except for hers. But um, this book is about war and I'm and the military and I'm so not interested in that. So I was like, oh, you know, I guess I'll just get through this book and hopefully she makes it okay. And it was hilarious and I did learn a lot as I, I should have trusted, you know, because I love all of her other books. Like she wrote a book about dead bodies called Stiff and a book about sex called bonk it is the science of sex <laughs> so yes she is one of my favorite authors too yeah when i got to the end of this i thought to myself how did no one tell me about mary roach before but of course everybody had been telling me about mary roach. <laughs> only everybody's just, been saying it <laughs> and i somehow managed to to miss them but uh no longer uh, for in fact any- i think he First chunk of 2017 might be dedicated to, before the 2017 books start hitting, might be dedicated to catching up a bit on Mary Roach. What about, just because we're running out of time, I'm thinking, what is the the sort of, for the person who reads a lot of science books on your list, what is the, the science book to get the person who already has read all the science books, something that maybe they wouldn't have heard of, or they haven't seen on a lot of kind of top 10 lists that maybe will will have gone under their radar. So for that kind of thing, I always go to the uh, graphic novel aisle, uh, perhaps predictably. And the oddball book that I really loved this year uh, was Tetris, The Games People Play by Box Brown. Which is, as it sounds, you know, the story of Tetris, of the creation of the, the, the video game Tetris. And I didn't really know much about that. I, in fact, I didn't know anything at all about the development of the game Tetris. And if someone had told me, oh, yeah, it involves spies from the Soviet Union, I would have said, no, you got to be kidding me. And, and it does. It involves, well, not, not spies, but, you know, government, government apparatchniks and, you know, varying levels of the Soviet government and Russian scientists and, you know, all, you know, and the Maxwell family. It just is a bizarre and wonderful kind of little bit of the history of technology. And I just, uh, I, I thought it was terrific. It really, really, uh, uh, and a quick read too, you know, it's, you probably can get through it in an, in, a, in, a, in an hour or so. And, and Box Brown, once again, his illustrations, are just superb. I really, and this is one of those things where a couple of years ago, I was dying for a way to mention Box Brown's biography of Andre the Giant on the show, but there just didn't seem to be a rational, sane way of doing that. 
But now I can say Box Brown has also done a really wonderful biography, graphic novel biography of Andre the Giant, which is, again, well worth reading, even for people who weren't obsessed with wrestling when they were 10 years old. <laughs> wow, that sounds awesome. I'm a huge fan of Andre the Giant, actually. Um, I would say a book that I would give to an avid science reader is a uh, it's a fiction, it's science fiction, it's short stories, it's called The Unfinished World by Amber Sparks. And the reason I say this is because, um, you know, I'm not just a fan of science, I'm also a fan of like Isaac Asimov and all those great sci-fi writers. And this is a book of short stories that came out this year, which are my favorite stories, because I love being able to read a story in less than an hour. And it's all about... Um, you know, contemplations on human condition. Like there's a story called the janitor in space about a woman who works at a janitor in space as some kind of penance for past sins. And there's all these stories about time travel and what that means. And, you know, what it means to be a human in a world dominated by technology and how we maintain connections or lack of connections with other people. But it, I would say, you know, if you like Asimov and you like decent sci-fi, you'd love this book. Any any last books you want to throw in there uh, before we, we wrap up that uh, you want to make sure get, get mentioned? Sure. The the one that um, was, again, uh, I guess I don't know if I'd call it a pleasant surprise or just a book I, I was really expecting to be just as good as it was. Uh, the Jazz of Physics, The Secret Link Between Music and the Structure of the Universe by Stephen Alexander. Terrific, terrific book. Uh, a book that would be, you know, again, maybe a book that you would give to somebody who doesn't usually read science books because there's a strong link uh, with music. And it, it definitely makes that connection between music and physics, both on kind of that conceptual level, but also in Stephen Alexander's life. Uh, he's a, a, a theoretical physicist who, who who's also a jazz musician. And I thought it was just, uh, it was, you know, it was a great book because it combined a couple of my uh, obsessions. And it's always nice to have, to be able to satisfy two obsessions with the same book. Uh, yeah, I had a few books left. Let's see. So the first one would be Unbroken Brain, a revolutionary new way of understanding addiction. And I really enjoyed this book. I don't know a lot about the science of addiction other than what you hear about it in mainstream, which is, you know, other there's the people who think addiction is a choice, which is not true. And then there's the people who go, addiction is actually this brain disease. And then this book makes the argument that it's, um, it's it's actually a developmental disorder and involves timing and learning. It, it's like addiction hits your life and you learn a coping mechanism. It's similar to, um, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, it, it, it. It's just a different way of thinking about addiction. And um, the author is actually a, she went through a period of life where she was addicted to drugs. So it's her perspective on it. Um, and it says, like, addiction is less common in people who use drugs for the first time after age 25, 
which goes against the narrative of it's just this never-ending cycle that just gets worse over time. And it says only 10 to 20% of those who try drugs actually become addicted. Um, so she, she goes through a lot of the science of addiction and, and what we do about it. And it, it has to do with what works and what doesn't work. And what doesn't work is like these 12-step programs, which are based in religion. Uh, it doesn't work to shame people. I think we're finding a lot of that right now in psychology is like shaming people for their habits doesn't work, whether it's food or drugs or whatever. And what does work is reduced harm treatments like needle exchanges, having empathy, having safe spaces for these people, you know, and especially with the epidemic of um, opioid abuse or um, misuse, as she characterizes it. Uh, it's just a very good book. I think a lot of people would be interested in this because probably a lot of people know somebody in their life with an addiction problem. And uh, I just had a couple of children's books to recommend on a different note. The first one is Prairie Dog Song, The Key to Saving North America's Grasslands. And this is a book for, the books I read are for little kids, like preschoolers, kindergartners. And this book uh, combines poetry and also ecology and talks about the history of the prairie and its role in ecology. And so, so I thought that was very interesting. And uh, another one is Solving the Puzzle Under the Sea which is all about Marie Tharp, who is the first woman who mapped the ocean floor. And not just first woman, first person. So a little children's biography. These are all great picture books, by the way. Beautiful illustrations. And also about, a, also about a woman that I had not heard a lot about. So, and there's a couple other ones that are, that have been released within the past few years. But you know what? There's so many children's books that I never hear about enough science ones. Uh, if you like, a, if you have a kid who's really into poop, <laughs> as most kids are, there's one called Behold the Beautiful Dung Beetle. And it's all about the life of a dung beetle and has this wonderful illustration on the front of this triumphant dung beetle on its little ball of, of poop that it's rolled up. So I know talking about poop is like an instant way to make my daughter laugh. So she, she loved it. And, <laughs> And also there's a book called Equal Schmequel. And this is a book about what does it mean to be equal? And it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a math book, but it's for very young children. It has a lot of beautiful pictures. It's about a, a mouse and all of her little friends and then uh, a big friend, a bear. And they're trying to figure out a way that they can play tug of war. So they try to divide the friends into groups like meat eaters versus plant eaters and, uh, you know, to figure out how can they have the most equal uh, tug of war. And, you know, you imagine with a mouse and a bear, like that's not going to be equal. But it's a nice way to explore, like, what is the nature of equality and, and especially mathematical equality. But, you know, also you could jump onto uh, class equality and, you know, use the book as a talking point for stuff like that. Well, so, thank so you. Can I mention a couple of kids' books? Yeah, absolutely, John. While we're, while we're on kids' books? 
Yeah. I, uh, I really enjoyed discovering the uh, Disgusting, Disgusting Critters series this year by Elise Revel. And so basically, I'll just go through the, t- the names of uh, a couple of the books. The Spider, The Worm, The Rat, The Slug, The Toad headlights the fly so exactly they're exactly what they sound like they're they're tiny little books about really disgusting little critters and they're hilarious and they're fun and they're you know a really really wonderful book i haven't actually read any of the uh english ones i've only read a few of the ones in french um in french the series is called les petits dégoutants uh the little <laughs> disgustings and uh it's a wonderful series uh, written by a, a a canadian woman so terrific series another series aimed at uh, kids of all ages that I don't believe has been translated into English yet is Marion Montagne's Tu Mourras Moins Bête series. It has three or four volumes. And of course, Tu Mourras Moins Bête means you will die less stupid. Um, <laughs> and uh, and they're, you know, uh, it's from France. It's a series from France and which, of course, that title is uh, very much from France. Um, wonderful series, just hilarious and just hilarious and silly. And, and I think it would actually, I think it would, it would work well, uh, generally. So stuff from France often doesn't translate that well, but I, I think, I think this material would, would translate really well. Guys, thanks so much for coming on and nerding out with uh, about books with me. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. It was great, as usual. And if you heard a book that piqued your interest but didn't have a pen handy, don't worry. Just visit our website at scienceforthepeople.ca and go to our show notes for this episode. We will have a roundup of all the books we've talked about today and links to where you can buy them. Note also that our links have little affiliate tags on them, which means that if you heard about a book on today's show and decide to buy it on Amazon, we would be grateful if you'd choose our links to click on. For every book you buy after clicking our links, we get a little referral tip, usually around 50 cents. Next up, we'll look at the non-book gifts that will delight and excite the science geek on your to-buy-for list this season. Stay tuned! Science for the People is a weekly radio show and podcast that explores everyday life from a scientific perspective. We are a member of the Skeptic Network, a collection of blogs, podcasts, and video content focusing on science and critical thinking. To find out where Science for the People airs near you, or to listen to past episodes, check out our website at scienceforthepeople.ca. You'll also find links to support us at Patreon, to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter, and to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Science for the People. I'm Rochelle Saunders. Once again, we're making sure you have plenty of ideas for the science nerd on your Christmas list. But what if that special someone you're buying for already has all the books? Or maybe too many books. I'm not talking about myself there, I promise. Uh, maybe you just want to get them something a little differently this year. Well, back by popular demand, the second half of our show is dedicated to the non-book science gift recommendations the nerds on your list are sure to get excited about. With me is Courtney Caldwell, a communications professional by day and a writer for Skeptic and Mad Art Lab by night and a lover of all things geek. Courtney, lovely to have you back. Thank you for having me. Also returning is Simon Saval, an entrepreneur and investor living in Los Angeles. He's the founder and CEO of GeekRapt, the world's largest curated collection of unique science gifts. Simon, thanks hey. for joining us again this year. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be back. Now, listeners, if you have a pen and paper handy, that's great. But if you don't, that's okay, too. Every year, we publish a blog post with a list of everything, books and otherwise, that we talk about on the show, including a link to where you can learn more and purchase it online if you so desire. So don't worry about frantically trying to write anything down and rewinding and trying to figure it out. We will have a list for you, we promise. 
So let's start with uh, science gifts for kids. What do you guys have on your list of things that you've noticed that would be really great to give young kids? For the 9 to 13 age group, uh, I just was looking at the Aquascope. It's Nancy B's Science Club Aquascope. It's available on Amazon. Um, you can head out to your local lake or creek, um, or if you're lucky enough to live by the ocean, you can head out there. It's got a telescoping underwater viewer with five times magnification, uh, some LED lighting so you can really light up and look and see what you're uh, looking at down there. Um, and it supports STEM learning and encourages kids to pursue their natural love of science. That sounds cool. And everybody's got a little a lake or some kind of creek nearby. I think most people do anyway. I hope so. That was one of my favorite things to do as a kid was to head out to the creek bed and see what kind of trouble I could get myself into. <laughs> it's always interesting to use a microscope to look at some of that stuff up close because they always look so different when you see them big. <laughs> Simon, anything on your list? Yeah, I made a list and I checked it twice because pretty much science gifts for kids uh, is my favorite category. So <laughs> I have I have a lot of different suggestions. And I'm going to start a little bit younger um, than Courtney for toddlers, actually, because I think that's an awesome category that a lot of parents are interested in. Um, if you have a toddler or a really young child, there's a fantastic toy you can get. It's only $12. It's called the Water Flow Bass Toy. And it's essentially um, like a really colorful set of pipes that uh, really young kids can use in the bathtub to experiment with physics and fluids and all kinds of other um, super wet, crazy fun. Um, and um, p kids really love it. You can you can play with it. You can submerge it. You know, you can stick it to the wall. And it's a really great intuitive way to get them started early on understanding how fluids work and how physics work and how all of that fits together. Really fun gift, super popular. So I highly recommend it. It's also extremely affordable. What about for teenagers, some of the older kids who are also science lovers? Definitely. Um, I would have two recommendations. The, the first one is a nanotechnology kit that's made by Thames and Cosmos. That's the company that makes all those super popular um, chemistry kits. And with that kit, it's, it's really cool. You can actually make your own real nanoparticles. Um, it includes 41 different experiments. You can make um, all those ultra-small structures that are just one, 1 to 10 nanometers in size. Um, so you can make your own water-repellent T-shirts. Um, you can make all kinds of interesting materials that, for example, mimic a gecko's foot. So you can stick them on the wall without glue and all kinds of other really unique and um, unusual ideas for experiments that's really popular. And the second one um, is kind of like a classic, and a modern classic, which is an Arduino um, starter kit. Arduino is kind of like an open source computer platform, and it's really popular all around the world, very affordable, and it's a great way for kids to learn electrical engineering and uh, computer programming uh, with really fun unique experiments. So I recommend both of them highly. Forget teenagers. For I'm an adult kids. and I want one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, for teens, I would recommend, uh, recommend the three doodler. It's a 3d pen uh, and it prints in real time in plastic that cools almost instantly. So you can draw um, anything you want in 3d and it becomes uh, like a really cool decoration piece or even like a working toy. I've seen people make like little moving vehicles with them. Uh, and I think the teenage age is a very good uh, time to start with those. They have several different uh, several different price points. They have one that starts at 50 all the way up to $250 for like their pro version. That sounds really cool. I've seen some videos of those. They seem really neat. 
someone brought one up to uh, my work and it was a big distraction throughout the day. So do not recommend taking them up to your job. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great thing to bring to a Christmas party, though. Agreed. So what about for the foodie or the cook or the baker, something that they can use in the kitchen? Etsy has a lot of really great uh, cookie cutters. So they have uh, science-themed ones from a group called Print and Flourish. They've got DNA strands, flasks, atoms, chromosomes, antibodies, all cool, uh, all really cool designs for maybe a Christmas party as well. That sounds really fun. And I, w I would add uh, a molecular cuisine kit that, that will definitely impress your guests or the people you go to visit. If, um, it's essentially... Um, a kit that allows you to make really crazy food items. So, for example, uh, mint caviar beets that burst in your mouth or chocolate spaghetti um, or all kinds of other weird things like really ultralight lemon foam that floats on your tongue. So it's it's a lot of fun to experiment with it and you learn a ton about uh, chemistry and physics along the way. And definitely a crowd pleaser. I think most people would be super excited if you give that to them or if you bring it to a holiday party. I'm just going to throw one out there that I saw the other day. Uh, it's not really for foodies, but it's for people who like uh, interesting coffee mugs. There's a, a line of Juan Ortez art that they've put on uh, coffee mugs, and they're just really gorgeous. They have that kind of great like B-movie retro vibe to them for old Star Trek episodes. <laughs> really nice looking. Uh, I definitely would love to have a couple of those. Okay, everybody knows that there are lots of space nerds out there. So do we have any space nerd recommendations? Definitely. I'm, I'm a space nerd myself, so I have like an endless list of ideas here. <laughs> but I'm only going to go with two since we only have limited time. Um, the first one would be Galaxy Batsheets. So this is definitely one of the best-selling items we have on Geekwrapped. They're really fun. They're extremely affordable, uh, clocking in at about $30 to $50, depending on the size. And so what they are is essentially... They are printed bedsheets that show really colorful, high-res space photos from the Hubble telescope. Um, and the company that makes them uses this really cool new printing technique uh, to make the colors very vibrant. Um, and also, at the same time, they never fade. So you can wash it for years to come, use it for years to come, and they will look as vibrant as the, the day you got them. And they really turn any bedroom into something special. So it's, it's really cool both for kids and for adults. I have a set myself and highly recommend them. Um, and then the second one, if you're looking maybe for something a little bit even more affordable, uh, would be a set of night sky playing cards. Uh, definitely for any sp space nerd, they, they love it. Um, that's just a, a regular set of playing cards, but uh, they use all the different constellations um, on the back. So while you're playing, you can learn a lot about astronomy and they, they look fantastic too. I came across a uh, infinite galaxy puzzle. So this one's both math themed and a little bit of physics and space themed. Uh, the infinity puzzle is not something I had seen until recently. This actually came across my desk from Emily Finke from Mad Art Lab. Um, it is a, a puzzle that you can put together in thousands of different ways. Um, and it's actually inspired by uh, the Klein bottle, which is a mathematical uh, concept. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it is... Basically, uh, lives in four dimensions, but every patch of the Klein bottle is two-dimensional. So it's a two-dimensional manifold, which can only exist in four dimensions, uh, which wow. is, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I had to read that several times before I really understood the concepts. But the puzzle itself is inspired by that, and you can put it together um, infinite number of different ways, and it's really beautiful. It's got a galaxy uh, overlay on it, so it is the, it's from the Hubble Telescope. 
Um, and it is the center, a photograph of the galactic center. And that's from Nervous System, which has a lot of other really cool stuff on their site as well. That's really neat because it's like a combination space math gift with the Klein bottle in there too. That's really neat. Anybody else have any math geek uh, Christmas gift recommendations? And I am definitely not asking because I definitely don't have a science or a math <laughs> geek in my own house. So, you know, give me some ideas, guys. <laughs> I know you do. So... Um, do you have a female or a male math geek in your house? Let me let me ask that. I have a male math geek. Okay, perfect. So he, here's what I recommend: uh, get a um, if he likes ties, you can get him a pi tie. Pi, not as in apple pie, but as in the mathematical symbol, the number pi. Um, it's a really cool, stylish dark blue tie <laughs> that uses uh, you guessed it probably the pi symbol in a really nice pattern in the design. So that's that's definitely super popular, and I recommend it. It's a, it's a really fun gift for math geeks. Um, or if that's not to your liking, then um, you can give him a golden Cryptex USB flash drive, which looks and sounds really cool. Um, it's essentially, um, if you've seen the movies, it's uh, from the movies. It's a Cryptex that um, kind of like uses cryptology, math, and engineering to secure all your data. And only the person who has the number combination can open it. And it uses a really ingenious locking mechanism on the inside that's super fun for people to nerd out over. What about for people who like kind of environmental earth science? So I'm thinking geology, environmental climate science, even maybe dinosaurs. I always recommend um, for the environmental science lovers, the Mason Bee House. Um, honey bees are super duper under threat right now because of, you know, colony collapse disorder, uh, pesticide exposure, all of that. So even people who live in apartments, um, they can use their apartment ba- balcony or if you have a house, you can turn your backyard um, into a nice safe haven for our native pollinators. And mason bees actually are friendly. They're non-stinging bees. So you don't have to worry about about that. That's great. I love that. Um, and I would add, um, if you go on Etsy, there's a, a ton of um, great uh, creators that make custom watches. They normally go about uh, for about $20. And one really great one is called the Planet Earth Watch. It's exactly what you think it is. It's um, a beautiful gold or silver watch. You can get different um, strap colors as well. And it shows our blue marble um, right in the middle of the dial. looks really beautiful in a lot of shops. If you look carefully, they also donate part of the proceeds to uh, great causes. So... Um, definitely worth checking out. I just want to throw a quick shout out to a Canadian illustrator and artist who has a great um, Redbubble shop. She is an illustrator and she does a lot of illustrations with dinosaurs and she's got a a lot of her art available in a Redbubble shop so you can get it on t-shirts, on uh, pillows. She's got some gorgeous art on bags, um, on laptop covers and just her art is really captivating and so warm and colorful. Um, it's really great art, so I definitely would recommend checking her out if you've got someone who loves dinosaur and uh, illustrations. It's it's beautiful stuff. Oh, that's great. I, I have to make sure to check it out. That sounds really fantastic. So what about uh, science-themed and nerd clothing, since I mentioned T-shirt? Like, all nerds like to be able to wear their nerdery on, uh, on, on their bodies. So anybody have some good suggestions for nerd clothing? I cannot recommend uh, Surly Amy enough. She's also got a red bubble shop now as well. Um, she has so many awesome science-based uh, t-shirt designs. You can put them on stickers. Uh, you can put them on pretty much anything you can think of. She's got a really cute one that I love right now. Um, it's a picture of a supermoon, and he's thinking to himself, he says, I am super. Um, it's very <laughs> cute, very inspirational, <laughs> make you smile throughout the day. It's awesome. I have one uh, for both of you, Courtney and Rochelle. Um, 
it's a glowing galaxy dress. And so um, during the day, it kind of looks like a just really pretty uh, usual dress that features galaxy designs um, on top of it. But at night, it really comes to life uh, because it glows in the dark um, and it looks really stunning. Um, it's a it's a really fun gift, I think, because it's really surprising. When you first get it, you probably don't know that it glows at night. So um, I highly recommend it. And it only costs, I think, $40, which I think for, for a dress is pretty reasonable. That seems very reasonable. Yeah, that seems pretty reasonable to me. Um, there is a, a great um, dress that I saw on, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Redbubble, um, by the artist uh, Tara Simone Preston. And she has done a piece of art with Uhura from the original Star Trek. And she's put this beautiful print on a dress that I just covet so badly. It's gorgeous definitely uh, another awesome. another star trek i guess all of my recommendations are trek so, <laughs> so you, you can tell what i've been watching lately what about I'll actually add, uh, I'll oh, actually add one more if, if you don't mind yeah uh, just because i think it's really interesting um it's called icon world travel shirt and so what is this it's, this comes in at about 13 dollars, so very affordable um it's it's a t-shirt you can get in different colors and on the front it includes 40 uh, universally understandable icons that um just help you to make the world a smaller place and it's a really unique and very affordable gift that just ensures wherever you travel you can instantly communicate with people you just point to the icon uh, or point to a series of icons and you can help yourself that way uh, making sure you get to where you want to go and get what you want doing travel really fun idea what about um, things to take to a Christmas party? So, you know, you bring a bottle of wine, you bring an appetizer. What are some, like, activities or weird little things that might get people interested at some sort of a holiday party or maybe an office party that they might be heading out to? I really like the Miracle Berries. Um, they are the little tablets made from Sensipalum dulcificum, which I'm sure I'm going to – I butchered. Um, but it's better known as the Miracle Berry, and it makes the – food that you're tasting tastes different than what it would normally taste like. So you can make a lemon taste really sweet instead of very tart and very sour. What about uh, uh, things like jewelry or accessories? You can definitely find a lot on Etsy and I, I highly recommend it. It's kind of like a rabbit hole. Like once you get started, it's, it's really hard to get out of it again, just because there's so many uh, creative people there. Um, but let's see, um, if you want something from Amazon, I would recommend um, a, a smart ring called Ringly, R-I-N-G-L-Y. Um, and it's really nice. It's a, it's a piece of art and that kind of like blends style and function. Um, and it's a smart ring. So it connects to your smartphone via Bluetooth um, and makes sure that you never miss important calls and messages again. Um, and it uses small vibrations and subtle patterns of light to, to remind you of important things. So a really modern um, kind of gift that shows you <laughs> that we live in the future, actually, in 2016. <laughs> That's interesting that you mentioned that. That reminds me of a friend of mine who recently just bought uh, a ring-shaped like fitness and sleep tracker. So instead of wearing one of those sort of plastic things on your wrist, he's found a quite nice-looking. Um, it's larger, but it's a it's a quite a nice-looking ring, which surprised me that that's now available apparently as jewelry, which is really cool. It's awesome. I've seen necklace ones as well that um, are smart, like fitness trackers, so that you don't wear that. Um, you don't have to wear the plastic bracelets or the expensive Apple watches or what have you. It is nice to see some of the fitness trackers coming out with uh, more interesting designs other than like a big p piece of bright green plastic attached to your wrist. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, something a little more aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What about uh, gifts that are good to use outside? Hmm. 
I'm um, a total homebody, so I'm passing on this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll take over. Um, I would recommend something really cool. You probably can't use it in the winter unless you're really toughened, um, but you can definitely use it in spring and summer. And it's a full face snorkel mask, and they just came out with this. It's it's really cool. It's about forty dollars, um, and what it does is it, like the name suggests, it offers you a hundred eighty degree field of view, um, and also you can breathe uh, while you snorkel through both your mouth and your nose, which I personally really like. Um, but it's it's just fantastic. It, it doesn't fog and it gives you this nice gigantic scenic view underwater, um, unlike traditional snorkeling masks. So if you have somebody who loves to go to the beach or travel um, and everything in between, I, I highly recommend that. That sounds cool. And it gives you a much clearer view, sort of unobstructed, of especially if you're snorkeling in a place where there's lots of interesting fish or coral or something to look at. Uh, that sounds yeah. like a great way to view that stuff. It's a, it's a whole new underwater experience. We've tried it out and it's it's great. It's a really fantastic gift. So now let's talk about like documentaries or maybe like a science theme DVD or movie that you might want to suggest this year. I would definitely leave this Cosmos a Space Time Odyssey. Um, it's the remake of, of the classic um, science documentary, this time with Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's incredibly talented and entertaining. Um, and yeah, it, it, I would recommend it because it's both modern and timeless at the same time. It's, it's very fascinating. It's very inquisitive. And you can watch it a number of times. And every time you learn something new, you pick up on a new detail. So I highly, highly recommend it. It's, it's fantastic to watch. I actually have three documentary um, recommendations this year because 2016 was amazing as far as documentaries went. Um, last year, I recommended Going Clear uh, by Alex Gibney. And he, uh, Alex is on my list again this year with Zero Days. It's a film that focuses on cyber warfare and how it's kind of unseating nuclear uh, threats as the biggest threat to our generation. Um, and it specifically focuses on the Stuxnet virus. Um, and if you're not familiar with that, it's a computer worm that targets industrial control systems like power plants, dams, waste processing systems, all those kind of things that when messed with or tinkered with could have really, really large scale implications for uh, the for the areas that they affect. Um, and then Trapped was another one. Uh, it follows the employees of two abortion clinics in Texas and Alabama. Um, that one was particularly close to home for me being in Texas. Uh, it follows how trap laws make it nearly impossible for abortion clinics to operate um, without outright banning them, which of course would be um, opposed to Roe v. Wade. And then lastly, uh, 13th is a fairly recent one. Actually, it just came out last mm -hmm. month and it's Netflix. So you could give whoever you want to watch this um, a Netflix subscription for maybe a few months. Um, and it explores the implications of the 13th Amendment, which if you're not uh, remembering, <laughs> it's been a while since your history class or your uh, <laughs> your constitution class, uh, outlawing slavery, except as punishment for a crime. Um, and it kind of follows how mass incarcer incarceration became the new form of slavery. And if you have someone who's kind of following those forms of activism right now, there's recommended companion reading that I would uh, love to throw a plug in for. It's The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, which follows kind of those same lines. Yeah, I can definitely second all of those. Courtney, as, as every year you have impeccable taste, they're like, they're all super interesting and, and fascinating. Um, I would also add, add uh, Particle Fever. I'm not sure if you guys have heard about that one. Um, I think it's also on Netflix, at least for the moment. Um, and it essentially uh, tells the story of the Large Hadron Collider and how they found the Higgs boson, the, also known as the God Particle. Um, and it's really a riveting story. Um, it feels like almost like an action movie <laughs> because it's it's so fascinating how how they almost failed several times and then at the end succeeded. Um, so it's a definitely definitely must watch. It's I highly recommend. It's very educational and also very entertaining at the same time. 
Yeah, I'll definitely have to check one out. That one out. That sounds amazing. Yeah, particle fever. That's what it's called. We should probably also just throw in a quick plug because there's a Planet Earth 2 that's coming out either now or next year. Um, so if you haven't seen Planet Earth 1, I highly recommend that series of documentaries uh, by the BBC. It They're stunning to watch, and I've watched them through a couple of times now. And uh, every time I see it, there's more interesting stuff, and the visuals are great. Um, I'm not sure when Planet Earth 2 is coming out, but I think it's coming out either it's out now before Christmas or it's coming out very, very soon. Yeah, it's being shown right now, I think, and I, I highly recommend it too. It's really, it features groundbreaking footage of, of nature and our planet. It's really fantastic to watch. Plus, it's narrated by David Attenborough, and if you haven't listened to him, he's incredibly talented and one of the best uh, documentary filmmakers out there. So, fantastic idea. So what about things to get the science nerd that like already has all the obvious science nerd and geek things? I mean, what's something that they wouldn't expect but might really love? I'm going to go way far out on the furthest possible limb for my recommendation here. Um, I was trying to get as wacky as possible. So if you have a computer science nerd in your life or someone who loves programming, uh, the big thing right now, apparently, I learned this from a coworker, is RFID chip implants. Uh, you usually oh. put them in your hand, uh, kind of right between your pointer finger knuckle and your thumb, I guess, knuckle. Uh, and it's just a little tiny, like a tube almost. Um, and it's a chip that you can program to do different things, uh, like unlock your phone. Or you could use it similar to Apple Pay or Android Pay, where you just kind of swipe your hand over uh, the the RFID or the NFC reader. And there are uh, endless ways, I guess, that you can program these things. I've seen them in action. But I think if you use them to pay for something, I think the clerk would be a little suspicious. I'm not sure they would let you out with the product. So <laughs> yeah, that, that seems with like... caution. <laughs> <laughs> but still, to be able to walk into your house with like a guest behind you and like wave your hand to turn on your lights, that sounds like actual magic. Yes, That's I have a, uh, a door lock. It's the Yale door lock. And I open it with my hand and a code. But if I could just wave my hand in front of it, that would be even better oh man that's like actual harry potter that's 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 way out there that's incredible actually <laughs> i'm not sure if i would want to do it but that sounds really fun to try out um anything from yeah, you simon so, yeah definitely um uh, like a lot of, lot of people haven't heard of this so i think this is a good one to throw out um it's a relatively new product called mushroom coffee um and it's essentially coffee it tastes like coffee but it's made from lion's mane and rhodolia root um completely natural tastes amazing um and it gives you a really nice very steady energy boost throughout the day so um, for people who maybe don't like coffee uh, because it's not that easy on their stomach or um, get caffeine jitters or headaches, that's a really fun product to to try out. It's very affordable too, all natural, um, and it tastes great. It tastes exactly like coffee, but you get a lot of added benefits. Hmm, that's really, I kind of want to try that. Yeah, it sounds weird, right? Mushroom coffee. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, 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 it helps your body digest um, and metabolize the caffeine more evenly throughout the day. So um, yeah, it feels it feels interesting. If you like coffee, definitely recommend trying it out. All right. So what about instead of buying a thing for a person, what about like an event or an outing, something that they can go and have an adventure with or go and spend some time with friends or family with? Your pass to a local science museum um, is always a really easy one because you can kind of use that all year round. Um, if you get it for their whole family, they can take the kids. Um, and a lot of a lot of science museums will have rotating um, rotating displays or rotating featured uh, sets or whatever. Uh, so they it's kind of the gift that keep, keeps on giving throughout the year. That's great. Um, and I would add the World Science Festival. 
they actually have two events um, in different cities each year. One is called the World Science Festival, and the other one is called, I think, City of Science. Um, both are really interesting, very enlightening. Um, and if you're not around in those cities, uh, I would, um, you know, add what Courtney said. Just check out your local science conferences and museums and events and festivals. There's a lot of them, and it's it's really worth a quick Google search because uh, most of them offer a really interesting, unforgettable experience. So they're definitely worth checking out. I'm going to throw out a quick shout out to an organization that's in major cities across North America, and I think around the world as well called Nerd Night. If you've never been to a Nerd Night, I've been to a bunch in different cities. They're always a good time. Um, you get in with a group of people, a bunch of nerds from both just like pop culture, geeks, science nerds, a range of people. There's usually two or three presentations every evening from a fellow geek on some kind of nerdy or geeky topic, and they're almost always in a place where you can also have a beer or a glass of wine and socialize with a lot of like-minded nerds. Um, sometimes they're free to get into. Sometimes there's a nominal ticket price to pay for the event. They're always a good time and they usually happen like once a month, once every six to eight weeks. So if you're looking to meet people in a new community, if you're looking to just go and listen to some really interesting topics and talks, kind of like TED Talks, but for uber nerds. Um, and the people there are always really great and it's something that you can go and, and meet some local people and they're they're represented across North America I think in every major city and in a lot of major cities outside uh, North America as well so I, I've been to them many times um, in a couple of different cities now and they they never disappoint so uh, if you're looking for something to do uh, one night a month that's a great place to, to check out a great group yeah I definitely recommend it. I went to the, the one in uh, San Francisco and San Diego and they're really interesting they feature tons of interesting guest speakers and topics and I think that the founder is called Chris and he's a really interesting guy too so I think it's nerdnight.com, right, Rochelle? Yes, and it's uh, night spelled N-I-T-E. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. But definitely recommend it. It's, that's, a fun, that's a really fun recommendation. What about charitable gifts? So if you're the kind of person who prefer that your family or friends donate to a preferred charity instead of give gifts, what kind of science or evidence-based charities would you suggest people look into? Well, I, I always recommend uh, to my friends to, to support um, local science museums and libraries because that really makes a, a big difference and they really need our support. Um, but if you're uh, maybe in a smaller town or you just want to give to a national charity, um, there. I would suggest uh, simply to make it simple, the, the charities that Geekrep donates to every year, and that's um, definitely, first and foremost, Bill Nye's Planetary Society, which uh, promotes the exploration of space and space education in general, um, and then also the Smithsonian Institution. Um, they're the largest uh, museum and research complex in the world, and they do a ton of science education um, and work really hard to make the world a better place, so can't go wrong with either one of those two. I am soliciting donations uh, this year for Christmas for uh, three different three different uh, organizations: Doctors Without Borders, um, ACLU, and Planned Parenthood. The latter two, which are, I think are especially important here in the U.S. Yeah. right now, um, with everything that's happened over the last month or so. Very timely, very timely gift idea or donation idea. Guys, thanks so much for coming on and nerding out with me about Christmas gifts. This was really fun. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. This was a lot of fun. 
And if you heard us talk about a product that piqued your interest, uh, we'll have a roundup of all the products we've talked about today and links where you can learn more about them and buy them online. You can find a link to the roundup of both all the books and all the gifts we've talked about today in the show notes for this episode, which you'll find on our website, scienceforthepeople.ca. This show you are listening to is 100% listener supported, and many of our listeners support us with a dollar a month. Your support keeps our show on the air. It pays for our bandwidth, Skype credits, and the file sharing services that keep our team connected. If you wish you could buy us a cup of coffee, consider sending $5 our way via Patreon or via PayPal, which is open to one-time donations in any amount. Thanks for listening, good luck with your shopping, and we'll see you next week on Science for the People. Science for the People is produced by Rochelle Saunders and edited by Ryan Bromsgrove. Helen Quivillon is our publishing liaison. We get research help from Josh Witten and consulting support from Desiree Shell. Our frequently seen guest hosts are Marion Kilgour, Anakin Hazra, and Jessica Yaros. Our theme song is called Binary Consequence, and it was written and recorded by Fractal Pattern. Science for the People is entirely listener-supported. You can find us on Patreon, where you can support us with monthly donations in any amount, or you can send us a one-time donation in any amount via the donate page of our website. Science for the People is created in partnership with the Skeptic Network, a collection of blogs, podcasts, and video content focusing on the intersection of science, popular culture, politics, and social justice. You can find out more about Skeptic at skeptic.org. The show is hosted by science news writer Bethany Brookshire and me, Rochelle Saunders. Science for the people.